Well, happy Father's Day. That song speaks to the, the heart of all of us toward our fathers, that our father was our hero. And of all the things we celebrate in the culture, often we don't celebrate fatherhood enough. And as a father, uh, you know that you don't always feel like a hero. You're so aware of your own weaknesses, it's hard to think of yourself as a hero. And yet the fortitude of commitment, the way we bring fun into life, the way we provide, the way we care, and sometimes just the staying power of being there during the ups and downs of life is one of the superhero aspects of being a dad. So happy Father's Day to you. I hope you, hope you uh, wish your fathers a happy Father's Day and tell them the heroic things they've done in your life to influence you and to shape you for who you are. I think it's interesting, as a, as a pastor, I get an opportunity to be on the giving side of helping people during times of tragedy or, or funerals or difficulty or pastoral care, and so it's been a real joy for me to be on the receiving end of that. My wife's going in for her second back surgery this Tuesday, so she's been pretty much laying on her back for almost two weeks, uh, not able to move, and it's been such an honor to be um, loved on by the, by the church. I've had people coming to my house and, you know, helping with things and helping me sort of organize that and watch Quinn, so... Typically, I'm on the giving end of, of helping. I've been on the receiving end of it, and it just reminds me what I love about our church. And many have got to see me kind of really in, not just on stage, but what it looks like in my own home, uh, wrestling with all the different challenges of special needs dad and, and being a husband. And so it's just been a real honor. I've been very encouraged by many of you who've spoken words of affirmation to me. And it's one of the things I love about our church, that we care about people and we try and be with them. So you may not feel like a hero, but many of you have been a hero to me uh, this week in these last couple of weeks. With that, today we're going to continue, or actually begin a series called Word to the Wise. And Word to the Wise, we're going to play some games together um, and learn about how to look at the Bible maybe as a game that can bring out some wisdom for you, and specifically the wisdom on how to be a great dad, uh, how to be a great child, and what the Bible says about that. Now to do that, I don't know about your dad, but my dad had lots of little idioms, little phrases he said all the time that he repeated over and over and over again. And maybe your father had some of those as well. So we're going to play a game. If you're over 40, you might remember a game called Concentration. It was an old game show. If you're under 40, just think of this as we're going to play with some emoticons together, some emojis. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and together as a group, try and decode these dadisms. And then the last one is a new dadism that comes directly out of the Bible that we're going to talk about today. So let me put the first one up. This is our first dadism. What is this one? Try and decode that together. Mm-hmm. Money doesn't grow on trees. That's right. How many of your father said that? My dad said that a lot. Yeah. And sometimes that's because we learned the wisdom of our fathers and how to spend money wisely. Sometimes it's because our dads were cheap and we had to learn how to splurge on ourselves as well. So it, both, it goes both ways. All right. Secondly, here's our second phrase, our dadism. A little more challenging. For the record, that's not a sheep, it's a you. I heard somebody say you, so were, without the M, were you. It looks like Matt Damon, but it's actually Jason Bourne. Were you born in a barn? That's right. Were you born in a, were you born in a barn? Were you born in a barn? It's the one phrase that Joseph and Mary could never say to Jesus. It was very disappointing, actually. Jesus, did you leave that door open? Were you born in a... Oh, I guess he was. <laughs> so that's kind of embarrassing. It's one of the phrases they couldn't use. All right, third one. Here we go. Third phrase. Hmm. It's not green. It's go. It's not a mule. It's an ass. 
Go ask your mother. Go ask your mother. That's that's a wise father right there. I don't know. Mom cares more about this subject than me. Go ask her so I don't get in trouble. Go ask your mother. All right, now this is one you may or may not have heard before. It's actually a very common phrase in the Bible, but not as well-traveled, that we're going to talk about today. So again, we got a... Next picture, what do clouds, feathers, and pillows have in common? They're all soft. I heard somebody say soft, yes. So A, soft. So it's not just a phone. What's she doing with the phone? She's answering the phone. A soft answer turns. A, it's not just a scale. You weigh yourself away wrath. So good job. I heard several people grab it over here. A soft word or soft answer turns away wrath. We're looking today about a man by the name of Solomon. And Solomon wrote a book of the Bible called Proverbs. And those were one of the Proverbs that he put in there. And when you're studying the book of Proverbs, you'll find these really helpful, very practical uh, pieces of wisdom for what it means to live life. And so this series, Word to the Wise, we're going to talk about wisdom for living life. Now, you know, all of us have one thing in common, is that we all had a father, right? We all had a dad. And some of our dads were superheroes all the time. Some of our dads just had a few superhero moments we remember. But the older you get, the more you realize that your dad did not get an instruction manual. And as you become a father, you start to humanize your parents a little bit more and go, wow, it's, life can be tough and life can be challenging. It's hard to know what to do. And sometimes you're like, well, dad just had this great instinct or gut and I loved how he, he just had, had this, this common sense of wisdom. My dad had a lot of those and my dad was especially good at this idea of a soft word or a soft answer turning away wrath. He had the ability to direct anger and help us learn how to deal with our anger like few people I know. But sometimes those are funny moments. You know, we're sitting in the back seat, and we just went through McDonald's. We got one of those ridiculous McDonald toys. My brother calls them temporary toys with his kids. So he throws them away before they leave McDonald's. Temporary toys. But we're fighting over the back. You know, give me that. Put his arm on your arm's on right. No, put it. Stop touching me. You stop touching me. It's my turn. Not my turn. My dad, guys, you got to work this out. He says, I have for five minutes. No, one five minutes. It's four minutes. No, it's three minutes. Give it to me. Guys, one more time. You got to work this out. Or I'm going to step in. Do you think we worked it out? Not a chance. It's my, give me that. It's my, no, it's my turn right now. Finally, my dad turns around. We're driving in the car while this whole conversation is going on. He's all right, let me have the toy for a second. And we're just waiting for this wisdom. It's going to be like a Solomon moment. He's going to tear the toy in half and you know, give half it to each one of us. What will happen? He's all right, let me have the toy. As we wait this incredible down-home wisdom from my father, he rolls down the window and he throws the toy out into a ditch. I learned, number one, my dad is a litterer. That's the first thing I learned. It was decisive, it was firm, and it was funny. We just suddenly went from all this tension to starting to laugh together. I remember another moment, we're home on, our home from, uh, on our way home from uh, my grandma's house, and we always would stop by Dairy Queen to have ice cream. But while we went through Dairy Queen, we also... My dad is incredibly cheap, and our family has a lot of the benefits of not being in debt. My dad built and paid off our home by the time he was 30 with a $7,000 a year salary. So, I mean, the amount of benefits my dad's thriftiness gave our family is incredible. But we're going through Dairy Queen, and same thing, as soon as we pull up to Dairy Queen, guys, let's celebrate! Everyone has 52 cents to spend. 
<laughs> what we're really going to celebrate. So it was always like a Buster Bar or the Star Bar that we would get there. And so as we go through, we get our usual Star Bar, Buster Bar. And my mom's kind of disgusted. Just why can't we just once splurge? Why does it always have to be cheap, cheap, cheap all the time? So we buy, we get our ice cream, and so mom starts into the speech. Ross, could we just one time celebrate and enjoy ourselves? And my dad's kind of ticked off. You know, we're trying to save money. Finally, fine, 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 fine. So as we're pulling out of Dairy Queen, he actually gets back in line, back into the drive-thru. And we don't care. He says, fine, you guys can have whatever you want. We don't care that mom and dad are fighting. All we hear is, you can have whatever you want. This is, these words have never come out of my father's mouth going through Dairy Queen. So we're like, pull into the Dairy Queen. I'm like, I want a large chocolate malt. I have wanted a chocolate malt forever. And so my brother orders, you know, probably three things. My brother, we pull up to the drive-thru. And my mom's feeling a little bit, you know, vindicated, a little bit. There's still tension in the room. <laughs> the same lady who had just handed us the Buster Bar, is like, weren't you guys just here? <laughs> no. I have a brother and a sister. Uh, my mom's in her 40s at this point. And so they look at me and say, weren't you guys just here? <laughs> my dad says, my wife is pregnant and he, she has these unusual cravings. <laughs> now, she was not. My mom burst out laughing. My dad burst out laughing. We all burst out laughing. It just kind of changed the tension. And, and, and in our family, we did a lot of laughing together. And there's a unique way in which within your personality, within your family dynamics, that we can learn how to not react with anger to one another. And I love being a dad. I've wanted to be a dad before I even liked girls. I like girls now. I like one particular one. But I, uh, I love being a dad. And you know, because God's given me three very unique kids, uh, Sierra, who's 21, you know, married, and I have loved being her father. I've loved watching her grow. I love working with her now. I love the great conversations we've had in the hot tub over the years, just talking and laughing and interacting together. I love playing volleyball with her. I just love the woman she's become. And Quinn, you know, as much as sometimes you hear some of the downsides, I love being Quinn's father. We got this special needs bike where the two of us sit next to each other, and, and I'm teaching him to actually put his feet around in a circle, and we've put 250 miles together uh, riding this bike over the last year. I love going jet skiing with Quinn. I love that he, he has more fun staring at his hands. These are the funniest stand-up comedians you'll ever see if you're ever around Quinn. He just laughs at his hands for hours at a time. And my son, Javen, I just love the idea that even at 19, he would call me up and say, Hey, Dad, you want to go to Chicago to go to a concert with me? And we did that last year. And he's in San Francisco this weekend at a concert by himself. And he's been sending me pictures of the San, Fran- San Francisco Bay Bridge or 1 o'clock last night. Oh, Dad, the best time in the world. And his love for music, and he's so much different than me, and I just love the, the aspects of life I've learned as a father. And I'm not any, anywhere close to a perfect father, but the few moments I've gotten right, the few moments I've learned how to do this, has really come from a couple sources. My father, wisdom passed on by his father, but even both of them would say that where they got their wisdom is from God and from a man named Solomon. Though we didn't get a handbook for being a parent or a handbook for life, there was a man named Solomon who made a lot of mistakes and he did a few things right. And he wrote a book called Proverbs that really put together a manual for how to live life. How to be a great dad, how to be a great parent, how to be a great person. And we're going to look at Proverbs 15 today. And right in the middle of this proverb, he's got this really interesting phrase about how his heavenly father taught him how to be an earthly father. He says this. He says, when you have a heavenly father who keeps watch over you you want to keep watch over yourself how you speak how you react 
But you also want to keep watch over others. You see fathering not as just a way to give financial resources to the people that you're entrusted with, but you want to keep watch over them, to love them, to nurture them, to direct them, to shape them, like a shepherd does with sheep. But the model is not our earthly fathers, as good as they may have done. It's, it's a heavenly father who knows how to do this. So right in the middle of chapter 15, there's this very interesting verse. It says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. God is always watching, he's looking, he's interacting. And he's keeping watch on the evil and the good. Oh, that's dangerous, that's evil, be careful of that, stay away from that. God also keeps watch over the good. That is great work. That is, I love it when I see you doing that. He's affirming, he's encouraging, he's a shepherd. And right in the middle of this whole chapter about wisdom, about being a father and son, it's this idea that it all comes from the idea of recognizing that there's a father, a heavenly father, who keeps watch over you and I. So we're looking at how to, be a, how to keep watch as a father and how to keep watch as a son. But it certainly applies to mothers, it certainly applies to leaders, it certainly applies to daughters. But it's specifically the context here is a father talking to his son. How do we make great wise choices? Now, before I jump into the message, I want to show you how you can use this manual yourself. Like, how do we come up with these messages? How how did, before we deliver a message, how do you come up with it? And how could you almost learn how to message yourself, rather than always having to just come to church and, and hear it in a message? Well, what you might want to do is take the date. Like, yesterday's date was the 15th. Proverbs has 31 chapters, so you can take whatever the date is on the calendar and open up that chapter of the Bible. Proverbs is just about in the middle of your Bible. Or you can go to BibleGateway.com or whatever resource you have. And pick the date on the calendar, today being the 16th. That's why I'm going to cover the 15th, so you can do the 16th on your own. And just open that chapter of the Bible up. And I'll, I'll do that with us. So here's chapter 15, verses 1 and 4. And then I want to encourage you, as you're studying the Bible, get a black pen and a blue pen. In the book of Proverbs in particular, there are two main themes that run through all 31 chapters. There's fools and there's the wise. And a real easy way to study the Bible is every time you see something a fool does, circle it with a blue pen. Every time you see something, a pattern of the wise, circle it with a black pen. So let's do that together. A soft answer turns away wrath. That's something a wise person does. So we're going to circle that or mark that. But a harsh word stirs up anger. All right, what's he saying here? He's saying fools use harsh words and just make things worse. It stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. Okay, so a wise person uses knowledge rightly. The mouth of fools, oh, let's switch back over to the blue pen. The mouth of fools pours forth foolishness, doesn't think before they speak. Now here's that piece, but the motivation here is to understand that God is a heavenly father who keeps watch on the evil and the good. Now he gets back to a wholesome tongue. Oh, we have again... The wise, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. It it just grows good things in a family. It grows good things in a company. It grows good things in relationship. But perverseness in it, a tongue, so if we have perverseness in it, the tongue, it'll break the spirit of a child. It'll break the spirit of an employee when you use your tongue to destroy. I'll just do a little bit more. You can go through a whole chapter like this. I'll just do two more verses. A fool, oh, there's the fool again, despises his father's instruction. But, contrast, a wise, he who receives correction is teachable, is open to feedback, is open to being wrong, is very prudent. 
In the house of the righteous is much treasure. Okay. Here again, the wise has treasure. They have savings. They know how to handle their money. But in the revenue of the wicked, oh, we have the fool, there's trouble. Oops. Switch. There is trouble. The lips of the wise, how do wise people speak? Well, wise people, their lips disperse knowledge. Like, man, I can't wait to talk to grandpa. I can't wait to talk to that man or that woman in my life. When they speak, it just, it communicates stuff I need to live. But the heart of the fool does not so. You're like, I can't, you know, two minutes with a fool feels like a week and a half. You ever been around somebody like that? It's like, oh, geez, she's going on forever. Just they're always talking about themselves. They're always bragging about themselves. Everything that comes out of their mouth is just like, that isn't true. That isn't going to be true. That's not going to help. So this is a way every day for the next month, I want to encourage you to open up a Bible, even if you've never done it before, and just use a black pen and a blue pen to reference what the fool and the wise does. Then you can open a Word doc or maybe your own notebook and just make a column. The fool column or the foolishness column and the wisdom column. And then just take the phrases that you marked and write them into these two columns. Fools, a harsh word stirs up anger. The mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Perverseness in your tongue breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction. A wise person, soft answer turns away wrath. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. A wholesome tongue is like a tree of life, and he who receives correction is prudent. And then what you can do is just in your own time of reflection say, which of these foolish things do I sometimes do? Oh man, I've got a temper, and when things get reactive, I tend to react to it. Man, I need to really think about that that is not wise. And what's the counter to that? God, I need help. I'm not good at this. Teach me how when there's wrath or somebody's mad, how can I use a soft answer to respond to that? How can I make sure they're not reacting out of, out of uh, inner turmoil, but out of what's appropriate for the circumstance? So that's the tool we're going to teach you for the next four or five weeks as we go through the series. Now, with that in mind, that's really how I develop a message. In this case, the message for today is going to come out of how we just did that together. So what does a great father do? A great father knows how to keep watch over his mouth. He knows the power of his words. He knows the power of his tongue. That's what Proverbs 15 speaks to. In fact, there's several phrases that jumped out of here, right? What were some of those phrases? If you played a game out of it. All right, well, we need to keep watch. What does it mean to keep watch? Well, as a father, I need to realize that my mouth can be a tree to my spouse, to my kids. It's also, I, I play a role of a teacher, and the people around me as a father. My, my tongue is a rudder that can steer conversations. And really how I handle this is going to come down to how I handle my anger. So let's dive into each one of those pieces together. First, a wise person, but a father here in this context, knows that his tongue is a rudder that can turn wrath. When things get escalating, when things get mad, you can actually turn the situation. It says a soft answer turns away wrath. Now notice, the, it's just so not intuitive that when somebody gets mad, you want to power up, right? You don't talk to me like that. And there's certainly appropriate times to do that, but often we do that way too soon. The first response when things are escalating is a soft answer, calms things down. All right, let's talk what happened. Why are you so upset? I've had times I was really angry and had to say to my kids, listen, daddy is angry right now. I can't talk about this yet. I need to go cool off. And that was my 
calming myself down so that I could discipline or so I could parent out of a place of peace. I was still frustrated, but not in anger. I wanted to make sure I was using a soft answer. Okay, here's what happened. Here's why I'm angry. Here's why I'm upset. Here's what we talked about. Here's what you didn't do we talked about. Didn't we agree these were the consequences? Yes. Did you do this? Yes. But a soft answer turns things. It keeps things from escalating. And that means we need to monitor our own heart because often we're, we're reacting in our mouth out of our own anger, not out of a soft answer. And that's why when you respond or react to somebody else's reaction, it just stirs up more anger. It makes things worse. It just escalates. Now no one's listening to each other. And so think about how you use your words as, as a rudder that can steer situations and conversations to, to make things worse. It gets steered up to more anger. Or you can turn away, or the word here in Hebrew is to dissolve the anger. Let's talk about the real issue that's going on here. Now to do that, this is a skill. And most of us did not have this skill modeled for us. We're going to have to learn this on our own. How do we turn a situation that's escalating and instead turn it by softening it with words? My dad was a fly fisherman. And he loves any kind of fisherman, actually. And he's got this real cheap dinghy he bought with a very small outboard boat, uh, outboard motor. And like 25 horsepower. So he's out fishing one day. And while he's fishing, um, he catches this big one. And because the, the boat he has is so small, he goes to grab the fish. And wouldn't you know it, he just lost his balance. Now the motor was still running. He falls into the water and the outboard motor swings to the, to the right. Instead of sort of going off and going crazy, you know, he's got to chase the, the boat for the next mile. The, the safety mechanism of this outdoor motor is it swings to the right. So now my dad's in the water with the fishing pole, with a fish on it, you know, and, and the boat is circling him. And so there's this rudder aspect, but the, the people who designed the outboard for safety aspect, instead of going straight so you could lose it, it runs in the shore, it's designed that when you, when you take your hand off it, it rotates to keep it in one location. I'm not sure they meant for it to be encircling you. So my dad told me the story. He's in the water grabbing the fishing pole because you don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose the fish. And meanwhile, he's trying to grab the... <laughs> he finally grabs hold of the boat. Now, and so here's my dad you know, doing this kind of thing with the horse. And, and he said he, he got through the, the, the fishing pole in there, you know, got the fish in at first. And then he's hand by hand working his way back, trying to avoid the propeller in the back. And he's finally reaching over and turning the thing off. But man, you talk about a situation where all of a sudden panic, escalation, fear, right? Everything in you wants to react. But it was actually the calm, slow responding all right, what am I going to do? Okay, I need to get access to that. Be careful of the propeller. Slowly working your way down. And that's what happens when we use questions as a parent. All right, what's going on? What happened? Why were you so upset? What do we say would happen to this if this happened again? That we can actually soften the anger, not stir it up, by using a soft response or a soft answer in those situations. Right? I had a friend of mine, his name's Carl, he's a pastor. He loves sort of being ornery. So they're coming out of church one day and the parking lot was full and one of his buddies was in the car in front of him. Had a minivan just packed full of teenagers. And his friend in the minivan didn't know it was Pastor Carl behind him. So Pastor Carl starts honking the horn. Now there's no place they can go, it's all backed up traffic. Who's this idiot behind me? 
this pastor. And he's having a great time just harassing his friend. But his friend doesn't know it's him. So finally, in the church parking lot, right after a church service, he rolls down his window and flips the bird to the guy behind him. To which all the teenagers sitting in the back seat are like, you just flipped off the pastor. And again, life, kids, circumstances, idiot drivers, there's never going to be a lack of reasons for you to get angry. But our tendency is we've been trained and modeled that when you see anger, you escalate to the anger. But the Bible says, no, actually, if you will escalate to the anger with a soft answer, you can still be firm, you can still have consequences, but actually will handle itself so much better when you recognize that as a parent, as a person, you need to use a soft answer to rudder away and turn away from wrath. The second thing he mentions here is that a great father keeps watch over his tongue. He recognizes it's not only a rudder to to decrease anger, but to direct a conversation. The tongue of the wise uses wisdom rightly. We live in a world today that has plenty and plenty and plenty of information, but not the skill of using it rightly. Wise people know how to use wisdom rightly. They can steer it. They can apply the right truth to the right situation. And part of how a wise person does it is they know how to use knowledge rightly. They can use it like directing a conversation. Now, have you thought about this? Well, if you do that, how do you think it will affect this? Great, wise people, leaders, bosses, know how to use questions. As my kids are now 19 and 21, part of our transition into adulthood is I purposely say, hey, we're not going to tell you what to do anymore, even when we want to. So one of the phrases that Beth and I use with our kids is we'll say, are you open to feedback? No. Okay, I said I would honor it. I think you need feedback. It takes a lot of self-control. And two, are you open to my opinion? I've actually been amazed, both with Javen and Sierra, 90% of the time they'll answer yes to both questions. It's a sign of respect that we're now adults, and I want to ask you, are you open to feedback? Do you want my feedback here? And if so, you don't have to do it. It's a way in which you transition out of adolescence into adulthood, and questions are a way you use knowledge rightly. Jesus was a master at using questions. I was talking to uh, Kenny Klosterman, who's um, had lunch with him a couple years ago. It turns out he's a magician, uh, which I didn't know, and I'm a magician as well. He told me when he first started his bread business, he said he had no idea what he was doing. He bought this company and really had no qualifications for it. So he went in to pitch a deal to Carl Linder Jr. and had known of him. And he went in, showed him the contract and this offer he had. He said, and Carl was not a man of very uh, many words, but man, he could ask you one question that would just so quickly reveal things you need to know. He said, I went in with this contract, I set it down, I pitched my big deal, and, and Carl looked at me across the table and he said, now how are you going to do this if you've put the deal together like that? It was much more complicated than that, but that was, it was just one question. He said, I realized I had no idea how to run this business. That one question revealed the foolishness of what I put together. And I just said, could you help? And actually, it was Carl that helped me reshape and build my business that moment at a time just by using a question wisely. Do you know people like that? Maybe it's a parent or grandparent who'll give you a big, long speech and you kind of ignore the whole thing. But then you got another parent or grandparent who asks you one question. And it has this ability to use knowledge rightly. 
Now contrast that with a fool. A fool, I love this phrase, pours forth foolishness. It just keeps going and going and going. It just flows everywhere. Now we all have relatives like that. We've all worked with people like that. Their mouth is running. Whatever's coming out of it, there is not one drop of wisdom in there. And right, we've all done that too. It's not just those people. We've all had foolish moments. Uh, I grew up with a waterbed. I don't know if you grew up with a waterbed, but I had waterbeds growing up. And, and so I was always poking holes in my waterbed because I loved working with electronics. I always had a TV I'd pull out of a dumpster or a VCR I'd pull out of a dumpster and I was working at on my waterbed. And I would often drop the screws into the side and would poke holes and I'm having to repatch my waterbed. So I was always having to drain the waterbed and fill it back up. Well, whenever I went to fill it up, I'm running the hose down in the basement where my, my bed was, and I'm plugging the big hole in the waterbed and filling it up. And then I would go outside because it took about 30 minutes to fill it up. And I always forgot about it. I mean, like five, six times I forgot about it. And if you've never seen a waterbed being filled up, you know, it's supposed to be flat. It turns out that a mattress will actually go a lot higher than flat. <laughs> Stick that hose in there and you leave it for maybe 45 minutes. It goes from flat, ready to go. And at some point, the pressure in the mattress will exceed the, the, the pressure that's holding the hose into the hole. And then what will happen, I've heard, is that the, the, the hose will pop out and it will begin to fill your, your floor of your bedroom with water. But then the hole that's no longer plugged will shoot like a, a wonderful spiral of water onto your stereo system that you paid a lot of money for. And then you'll, you'll, you'll be out playing soccer in the backyard and you'll think, oh, the waterbed. And you'll come into a puddle and you'll feel like you're in, uh, what was that, Disney? Fantasia. You'll feel like you're like Mickey Mouse in Fantasia, water spraying everywhere, right? And this is this idea that just pouring forth. A fool makes a mistake, he does it again. Doesn't learn from it. Pours forth. Every story a fool tells is why they aren't wrong and why it was circumstantial why they made the mistake they made. Nothing they could have done. A wise person, a wise father, knows how to use questions and knowledge to direct a conversation. The third thing that a, a wise father keeps watch over his tongue is he realizes that his tongue is a, is a tree to grow fruit with the people in his life. See, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. One word of encouragement, I'm proud of you, I like the way you did this, can just speak volumes Many of us are who we are today because we had fathers or grandfathers or men in our life who could be a tree of life to us with the words they spoke. And many of us have areas of our life that are withered because someone couldn't, didn't speak words of life to grow the kind of fruit to allow us to be the best version of ourselves. And we had to learn to grow that branch ourselves when it would have been so much easier if the people in our life, the first boss we had, the, 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 the way in which our, our fathers communicated to us could have been that tree that we wanted them to be. A wholesome tongue brings wholeness. Have you thought of yourself as a tree providing shade for all those that you've been entrusted to you? As a boss, have you thought of yourself as a tree? As a dad? As a grandfather? To invest in your kids and grandkids in a way that you can be a tree of life to them. To recognize the things that maybe they don't even recognize in themselves yet. Now the lips of the wise disperse knowledge. But the heart of the fool does not. Just good stuff doesn't come out. We had a funeral here a couple weeks ago. 
Brian Ventura's father had passed away and he gave the most moving, I guess, speech, talk, remembrance, comments about his dad. He said his dad had been fought in Vietnam and was an incredible man who fought for freedom, but because of all the challenges, what he saw at Vietnam, he had a huge drinking problem. As he came back and the challenges of marriage and having small kids, his wife had to have an ultimatum. Ryan said, my wife had an ultimatum and said, hey, you need to choose alcohol or us. He said, I was so proud of my dad. He not only fought for our freedom, but he fought against his, his alcoholism and, and he broke it because he chose us. He chose our family over that addiction. He said, these last couple of years, we got to live with my father in his last years. It was amazing to see my father fight to be a source of joy he said, we came home one day and dad was dressed up in a full-length bunny outfit. And the grandkids came in, what in the world? And just, he loved seeing the grandkids laugh. He loved making them laugh. He just saw his, his grandfathering and his fathering as a chance to fight, to be a source of life and joy, to be a tree, to, to fill other people up because of some tough decisions he made to fight for their family. And it was just so moving to see Ryan talk about how his father, not perfect, but he saw his father had fought to be the dad he needed him to be. Lastly, uh, a father keeps watch in the sense that he knows that primarily the role of a parent, the way the Bible describes, is to be a teacher. That if you're a mom or a dad, you are primarily a teacher. Here's what Proverbs tells us. Harsh discipline. Let me start with the word discipline here. The word discipline is where we get the word disciple. And a disciple, Jesus had disciples, they were students who wanted to learn from their teacher. So the Bible describes discipline very different from what most of us experienced. One, you need it. But two, it may not be what you thought it is. Discipline is I am using this circumstance, I'm using this consequence, I'm using this privilege, I'm taking away or giving to teach you something. Even harsh discipline, there is a place for harsh discipline, but look at what the Bible even says here. There's a place to use harsh discipline, but it's not very often. You only use harsh discipline, harsh teaching, for him who forsakes the way. In other words, discipline takes in consideration the difference between the situation and the intent. Your kid accidentally spills milk. I can't believe it, you idiot! Well, that, that's not good teaching, right? That's you having a problem with anger. You use harsh discipline, still soft, answer, um, when somebody forsakes the way there's a defiant attitude. But even then, it's, both these verses are in the same thing. You can use a soft answer and harsh discipline. Harsh discipline would say, listen, didn't, have we talked about this before? It's the third time you've done it. Now, last time you were grounded for a week. This time you're grounded for two. Now, you need to understand, I want to build our relationship on trust. And if you keep doing this, we don't have trust. When there's lack of trust, there's a whole lot more rules. I'd like to not give so many rules. Do you like less rules? Yes, I would like less rules too. You know how you get less rules? More trust. You know how you get more trust? And you explain. And, and many times as a parent, we're so frustrated that we discipline out of anger or discipline out of annoyance. I'm annoyed that you're making me do this. We don't take the time to be a teacher. I can't tell you how many kids, after their parents give a long speech... All they really know is I made mom mad or I made dad mad. Versus saying, when you talk with that tone, that's disrespectful. What tone? Well, when your volume goes up like that and when it sounds snippy, that's the tone. Well, the kids should just know that. They don't. We're teachers. We teach what's wrong. 
the consequence we give teach how wrong it is or how important it is. And we don't use harsh discipline when there isn't a harsh intent. It's for those who forsake the way. It's for those who say, who have defiance that we use harsher discipline. Most of the time we say, hey, listen, that happens. You made a mistake. Not a big deal. Let's get the milk. Um, I want you to clean it up. But we don't have to react. But often we react rather than teaching with our discipline. Now, a scoffer does not love one who corrects him. A scoffer and fool are used relatively interchangeably here. So on the other side is when somebody's correcting you, your boss, your parent, do you love the person who loved you enough to try and correct you or help you or guide you in this? We're not disciplining people to our mood. Would you think about the last couple times you've disciplined or called an employee to account or a child to account? Would you say, yeah, the primary feel of that was one of a teacher with a student? Or was it like a dictator with a, with a peasant? Ask yourself, am I, am I acting like a teacher? I had a conversation with Marcus. He's our CEO. And I was asking about a staff situation that I had handled. And, hey, do you think I should handle it this way or that way? Here's what I said. And we finished the conversation. I said, I'm really open to feedback. And he said, you know, can I, can I give you some correction? That's actually the term he used. So he asked a question. I said, yeah, I love some correction. He said, I think if you're in that situation again, this part was good, this part I don't recommend, and definitely don't do that again. And it was just really helpful. To have people in your life that, one, you can ask, it wasn't easy for him to correct me when I asked for correction. And two, for me to go, okay, I don't think I agree with that, but all right, I did ask for your opinion. That's, I want to th- can I think about that and get back to you? We need people in our life who will speak words of correction to us, and we need to be on the receiving end of that as well. All right, lastly, this one will be a little shorter. In the same way we need to keep watch as a fa- parent or father, we also need to keep watch as a child. And here we have keeping watch as a wise son. How does a son react? There's three quick little things in Proverbs 15, but what a son does. Number one, a son, if you look again, is going to keep watch by doing two things. He's going to learn how to receive, or three things rather, not despise, and how to be glad. Look at just how practical this is. Number one, if you want to be a wise child, you need to learn how to receive your father's wisdom. Now, does that mean everything your dad's ever said is wise? Probably not. But the reason God wanted us to learn this as a child, because as you grow, you learn you're always under somebody else's authority. Right? You're under the authority of the boss, the landlord, the board, the client, the customer. So learning how to give and take feedback, to receive instruction, to be teachable, is a skill that is so important. In fact, your lid to develop um, professionally will be determined by how teachable you are. Which is why being a wise son, wise daughter, wise employee, wise spouse, wise professional is going to be determined by can you receive correction? That's prudent. That's wise. That's smart. A foolish person does not love or correct. No, no, no. It's always something else's fault. The circumstances fault. Situations fault. It's not me, not me, not me. And that person is never going to excel professionally. And so the same thing when you're developing your children, you want to help them learn how to be teachable so that they can soar in their life. And so that's a place you might actually want to lean in and explain why it's so important that we learn. And for you, are you good at receiving feedback? When your spouse brings something up, do you immediately get mad and huffy? Or do you at least say, you know, that might be true. I'm willing to think about it. Being a wise son, being a wise spouse, is being willing to receive wisdom from other people. 
That's what he's talking about here. My mom was a vice president of a large company in Illinois that did senior care. And she said, you know, all the years of doing reviews and 360, she's always amazed. No matter how much you put, like, you know, good, little criticism, good, kind of the Oreo sandwich, you know, approach to reviews. She goes, I was amazed that people just can't take constructive feedback. I can't remember if she would have said 80 or 90%, but she would say it's so amazing that people don't have this ability. And part of that's where the Bible offers a really unique answer to this. When you realize that you are fully accepted by Jesus and he forgave you of everything you ever did wrong, that grace and that acceptance allows you to, when somebody criticizes you, to say, you know what, whatever I'm going to hear, God's already forgiven me for. Whatever I'm about to hear might be true. Jesus died for a lot of stuff for me. This might be one of those. It actually creates humility in you and openness to feedback. It's a very unique thing the Bible offers in teaching you this wisdom. The second uh, two things that a wise son does is, number one, you receive your father's wisdom or anyone's wisdom. But number two, you bring joy to your parents. Have you ever thought about that as a job description? Like, well, I've got to write that down. I'd like my kids to have that as a job description. But the Bible actually says part of being a wise son or daughter, whatever age you are, 30, 40, 50, that one, of, one thing a wise person does is you think, how can I bring joy to my parents? Whether your parents are 70 or 80, whether they're wrestling with health crisis or wondering you know, all the mistakes I made or did I do anything right, for you to think to yourself, how could I bring joy to my parents? Here's what it says. A wise son makes a father glad. To think to yourself, how can I bring some joy into my parents' life? How can I make them glad today? How can I be a tree of life to them as well? No, a foolish man does the opposite. He despises his mother. This word despise is used of Jacob back in the book of Genesis. He despised his birthright. He hated it. Now, that doesn't mean you're not embarrassed by your parents. It doesn't mean you agree with your parents. But there's something about the disdain of despising your parents. When your parents say, there's nothing good can come out. They've never done anything right. And I see people in their 50s who feel that way. I certainly see teenagers that feel that way. But something happens in you that you're not going to like who you become if you despise the people in authority over you. That's why this is a a handbook for life. When you learn, I'm going to discern. Don't like that? I'm going to take that and not take that but not despise the people around you to bring joy to them. It's a very important aspect of being a parent. So this Father's Day, there's probably some things you despise that your parents have done. But there's a lot of things they did heroically. As a youth pastor, I was always amazed. For years I was a youth pastor. I would listen to teenagers talk to their parents on the phone. And I'm like, who are you talking to? Mom? I can be like this. No, Mom, that's not what I said at all. No, uh uh-huh, yeah. Well, you tell Dad that I click... Hey, what's going on? Hey, Mr. Hoven. Like, what would just happen there? I was just talking to my parents. Did, did you hear yourself? I was just talking to my parents. Like, like, I wouldn't talk to an enemy that way. And they just oblivious to it. So part of learning how to talk to your parents or even calling your kids on how they talk to you is you're trying to help them realize. I, I would say, your parents are human beings. They actually have a soul in there. They actually have a heart. Do you know your parents have feelings? Like, like, I think I might cry if I got a phone call like that from you to me. Really? And it was, again, see how that was instructive in teaching? Trying to help us get to that place. Now, one of the verses that we use as a staff, uh, Marcus... Uh, um, 
trains our staff. And one of the verses he brings up often is that we as a, a staff team are under a volunteer elder board and exec board team. And the same way a wise child wants to make their parents glad, the Bible actually speaks to that from an employer aspect, that our job is to make those that we serve glad. Here's a verse that Marcus quotes often. It's in the book of Hebrews. Obey those who rule over you. Whoever your boss is, obey them. Be submissive, which means to be subordinate to the mission of the organization. For they watch out for your souls. He's specifically talking about the elders of a church here. They're going to have to give an account for how they're leading. So as you, someone who, who serves under their leadership, let them, your boss, your parents, lead with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. It wouldn't be really great to have your bad boss mad at you. But what if you thought, my job is, I wonder what's going on in my boss's life. I know all the things that drive me crazy about my boss. How can I encourage my boss? How can I make it a joy for them to work with me? Isn't that a beautiful idea? How can we bring joy to our parents? How do we bring joy to our bosses? How do we fill them up with life? That's kind of what the Bible speaks about here. And again, that doesn't mean you're not embarrassed by your parents. I do plenty of things still to embarrass my kids. It's fun for me as a dad. In fact, I had one recently. I only do this about once every two years because they can see it coming now. So we're going to a movie together, and we, we love going to movies together as a family. And Javen and Brandon and Sierra are, are sitting up in the front row, and I come in with popcorn. And so what I do about once every two years is I come walking in and immediately act like I can't see him. And they're doing this kind of thing. Like, oh, there you are! So then I walk in with the popcorn. And then if there's somebody with their foot just barely sticking out in the front row, I, I pretend like they trip me. Oh! 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 Now, Brandon had not seen this in a while, so Brandon's like, oh my goodness, is Chad okay? My son, who's seen this a lot, so great, he watches me tumble, and in the quiet of everybody else, just gasps. <gasps> Javen's like, I hate you. <laughs> Which is actually a sign of affection from Javen to me. And so I laugh out loud. He's like, Dad. I said, hey, it's been two years. I waited for two. I've been wanting to do this every time for the last weeks. So, again, not despising your parents doesn't mean you're not embarrassed by them. But it does mean that you see the good in them. You see the humanity in them. And how you do that really comes back to our main idea, your Heavenly Father. He saw the good in you, but he forgave a lot of bad in you. You're not all that hot. And so when you see that your mom and dad aren't that hot, guess what? Give them grace as well. Because that's what he's saying here. When you have a heavenly father who loved you and forgave you and watched over you, you want to watch over yourself, your words, your actions, but also those of others. So this Father's Day, here's my challenge to you. Today is June 16th. For the next 30 days, a chapter a day can keep your foolishness at bay. I'd like you to read one chapter of Proverbs, whatever the date on the calendar is. Each week, we'll try and speak on a passage right before the one you're going to be reading so you can read that. And I want you to make a list with that black pen and blue pen of things, foolish habits, wise habits. And I want you to begin to ask God to shape you, to direct you, to be your heavenly Father who could help you see areas you might need to correct, course correct on your foolishness side. Some areas you might want to develop on your wise side. Or maybe you feel very affirmed. Wow, I do that well. Oh my goodness, I learned that one on my own. God wants to be a tree of life to you. And this Father's Day, if you're a man here today, if you're a father here today, you have one of the most important jobs in the world. 
our ability to bless our kids and our grandkids, to be a source of life to our spouses. There's nothing more important than that. And none of us are even remotely close to perfect. So part of being that source of joy is also apologizing at times, or we didn't. But hear this next song, I hope, is a thank you from us to you and from God to you about the power of a father and your role in your family's life. Well, Father, we thank you for the gift of manhood. We thank you in a culture that has a tendency to uh, parody it on TV, Father, uh, that they are missing out on the greatest gift you gave, which is the joy of being a man, the joy of being a father, and the, the joy of the uniqueness you gave us and our ability to shape and protect and to guide and to be a tree of life to those around us. So thank you for this day that we can celebrate fatherhood and manhood. And Father, thank you for this series that we can reflect on and receive your wisdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being here this week. Don't forget to read chapter 16 today in your own pursuit of wisdom. We'll see you next week as we continue our series, Word to the Wise. Thanks for being here.